Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. You guys would pray with me. Oh Lord, God, I pray that you would be with me this morning, that you would fill up my inadequacy, that you would enable me and empower me to preach your word to your people. Lord, You know the state of my heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would bind up what is broken. Heal. Salve. Repair. So that I can be useful to you this morning. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Several weeks ago, as we began our series on lament, I said, it's been a rough year. And as I begin this passage this morning, I've got to say, it's been a rough week. We've had a tremendous amount of death in the church this week. Some of it expected, some of it unexpected. We've had conflict. We have had misunderstanding. We've had all kinds of things happening. And as the pastor, I take all of these things incredibly personally. I probably shouldn't. And yet, so often in ministry, I find myself echoing the words of David as he cries out to God, In fact, the psalm that we are doing this morning is one of the places that I invariably go to in the midst of great anxiety or personal tragedy. There have been many nights as I lay awake trying to get to sleep going over every mistake that I made, everything I should have said, everything that I said that I shouldn't have said, tossing and turning only to pick up the Bible and turn to this passage and feel a supernatural calm come over me. So I was really excited to get to share what is probably my favorite psalm with you. Because I know that many of you are also struggling. I know that most of you are wrestling with something this morning. Indeed, all of us are probably wrestling with something this morning. We come in here, and for some of you, you dried your eyes right before you came through the doors. That's why we're doing the sermon series that we're doing this week, this month. Our sermon series is entitled, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. I want to make sure we all understand what we're saying here. We're saying 
that this is a place where you can bring your messiness. This is a place where you can bring your brokenness. You don't have to pretend to be okay when you walk through those doors. Like somebody's going to judge you or look down on you in the midst of your brokenness. Brothers and sisters, we all come to Christ from a place of lack. We all come to Christ from a place of brokenness. There is no one in this room this morning who is perfect. And so we can all come together secure in the fact that we share one critical Similarity, we are all beautifully and messily messed up. And yet, in the midst of this, we can come to God and we can cry out to him for help and for forgiveness and for atonement. We can, we can go before God and we can cry out to him knowing that he's not going to turn us away. That, that, that none of us are so messed up that we cannot be helped by Christ. And no one knows this more than David. We look at David and we, we put him up on this pedestal and we, we think of David as the, as the slayer of Goliath. And he was. David, the mighty king. And he was. But David was also an egregiously broken and sinful man. A man whose sins had ended up destroying his entire family. And so the Psalms that he wrote come out of pain as the just punishment for his sins is destroying him. So keep that in mind as we read this this morning, that everything David is suffering, he deserves. And yet, he is still crying out to God. David begins Psalm 31 with a declaration of his trust in God because of God's past deeds. It's interesting when we, when we look at the Psalms that sometimes they start off up and sometimes they start off down. Last week, David started off in the depths of despair, lamenting this problematic relationship that he has with God. How his life is beset on all sides by problems. That God, he feels, is crushing him. And using him up. All of which comes from his own sin. This morning, he starts off up. He says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to hear me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and your namesake lead me and guide me. 
You take me out of the net that they have hidden from me. You are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, my faithful God. There is something terrible going on in David's life. And unlike our last psalm, it's very hard for us to pinpoint exactly what it was. Mostly because David's life was filled with really bad stuff. It could have been any moment in his life where he had gooned it up really bad and found himself in the midst of the pit. We think it probably happened later on in his life, probably during this time when his son Absalom is chasing him and driving him from fortress after fortress and all of the people around him are conspiring against him. We think that's probably when this was. But its exact time doesn't really matter. The important thing is to listen to the words that David uses to describe his God. He repeats the same words over and over and over again in this first stanza. He describes God as his hasah, his, his place of shelter, the, the place that he goes to, to, to find shelter from the people that are attacking him, his bunker. He is his masadah, his, his rock of refuge. And the idea here is, is like this is the, the, the rocky outcrop where you would go to, to be in a place of defense against your enemies. He is his fortress, his musadot. Over and over and over again, we have this image in David that he is projecting of going into a place of safety to escape the people that are attacking him. And that's going to be important for later on. What we need to see here is that God is David's place of safety in troubled times, and he is calling upon God to save and to rescue him. And because David knows that God is his place of safety, he is able to do the next line in the stanza. He's able to, into, his, into your hands, O oh God, do I commend my spirit. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it should. It's what Jesus said on the cross. Jesus quoted this line from Psalm 31 as he lay dying on the cross. So what's David mean? Very simply, his, his ruah, his breath, his spirit, that which was breathed into him at life, He's saying, I commend that into your hands, O God, because you are my rock and my refuge and my strong place. So he is prefacing everything that's going to come after this with this very clear understanding that God is his only hope in life and death. That God is the only place that he can run. David is placing his life in God's hands and trusting that he will be a solid and safe place to shelter from his enemies. Oh, that we would have the same faith that David has. How often do we find ourselves in the bottom of a pit looking for everything else to place our hope in? Place it in insurance, 
Maybe we place it in the police, or maybe we place it in the guns that we own, or maybe we place it in anything else but God. You know what I place my faith in? Whenever I'm in the midst of despair, you know what I do? I run through scenarios in my head. Because I think in my insanity that if I can guess all of the worst case scenarios and I, if I have a plan for how to respond to all the worst case scenarios, then I will be at peace and be able to fall asleep. Here's the problem with that. That works when you're 22 and you're stupid. And you don't know how bad things can possibly be. But over time, what I found is as I grow older and hopefully wiser, what I realize is there are some scenarios that I can't bounce back from. There's some scenarios out there where I can't build a contingency. And so what it ends up being is me saying, it's laying in bed thinking about how all the ways that this could go catastrophically wrong. And guess what? That doesn't bring peace, strangely enough. And so what I had to do is to realize that I can't war game myself into peace. And I need you to understand, whatever it is you're relying on for your safety and your security, at the end of the day, it's just not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough when your spouse comes home and tells you they don't love you anymore. It's not going to be enough when your kid goes from making small mistakes to making catastrophic mistakes. It's not going to be enough when you get that pink slip from the job that you always thought that you would have or when that diagnosis comes back and isn't what you thought it was going to be. At that point, when the rug gets dragged out from underneath you, you are left with nothing except that which is eternal and lasting. So what does David do? He declares his trust in the Lord because the Lord has saved him before. What does he say? He says in verse 6, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known my, the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. David condemns people who worship false gods because he knows the power and the faithfulness of the one true God. It's as if he's saying, why would you worship this lump of metal that cannot help you when the only thing in all of creation that can help you is God? Why do we put our trust in these things that are false when there is one waiting for us who has always been there. Look what he says. Because you have seen my affliction. Brothers and sisters, one of the hardest things about anxiety, about struggle, about pain, is the feeling of being alone. It's the feeling that nobody else understands what you're going through. That your situation is so unique and so terrible that no one could ever possibly understand or maybe your situation is so shameful and dark and no one can help 
And yet, our God is the God who sees. He sees you in your affliction. He knows the pain that you suffer from. And so David cries out to him and says, you are the God that sees me, who knows me, who understands me. And not just that. You are the God who has delivered me from the hand of the enemy. In his grace, God has seen David's affliction. Now, I want to point something else out here. David is rejoicing and being glad in the steadfast love of God. We're going to see this phrase come back several times in this psalm. It's a statement that is repeated over and over throughout the psalms. It's a word that we talked about last week. The steadfast love of God, the covenantal love of God, the redeeming love of God, all of this is the same word. It's the word hesed. And David, if he rests on anything, he rests on the covenantal love of God, the hesed of God, the misericordia of God, the never stopping, never ending, always and forever love of God, the grace of God, the eternal kindness of God, the nature of God that does not turn on those who are his. See, David has been through this before. And he knows that God does not condemn or release He does not crush those that are his. He may discipline them. He may punish them. But they're always his. And so over and over again, David will will cry out to God and he'll say things like, because of your loving kindness, because of the covenantal love you have for us, for the sake of your name, For the sake of your righteousness, save me. Right? He's saying, God, so that you will continue to be God. Save me. Which doesn't make any sense because God can't be anyone other than who he is. And so it's it's David not talking about the changing nature of God. It is David declaring the unchanging nature of God and basing his hope on that. God cannot be anything other than God. And that means that God will forgive and he will restore. This is the basis of David's hope. And so David pivots from that and he comes to the focus of his psalm where he is asking for the Lord's help. He's saying, because of all this stuff, because of your loving kindness and because of your mercy and because of the unchanging nature of your love and the unchanging nature of your name, now let me tell you about my problem that I have. And so he cries out, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing and my strength fails because of my iniquity. And my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel 
For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. David is asking the Lord for grace because he is in distress. He is brokenhearted and his distress kind of falls into three areas. If we pick this apart, what we see is the the first part is, is all about his physical body. He is so upset. He is so broken that he feels it physically within him. His body has been afflicted. You can almost see him standing there, bags under his eyes, bent, withered, broken, in pain. Have you you ever felt like that? Have you ever been so upset that you feel it physically? You're sick to your stomach? That's what Paul's dealing, that's what David is dealing with right now. He is so broken that he physically feels it. But it, but it doesn't just, it's not just limiting there, right? Because this doesn't happen in private. He's the king. He doesn't get to go sit in his basement in sweatpants and mope. He's the king. He, and so he's crying out and lamenting because of the attitudes of the people around him. He says that he's become a reproach to the people that live around him, a byword of what happens when a man rejects God. This is the people that you tell your kids about, like, don't be like King David. Oh, you get your kingdom taken away. Get your family taken away. You know, if it was me, I'd say you you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. That's what happens. You do dumb stuff and dumb stuff happens to you. Look at David. Look at all the dumb stuff that happened to him. He's a reproach to the people around him. He is someone that others warn their friends about when something, when they're scared. They're afraid of what's going to happen to him. In a time when lineage is more important than life, he has been forgotten. His work has been cast down. He is a broken pot, a, an implement that is no longer useful, something that is no longer beautiful or valuable. His entire life has been shattered. That's what he's telling God. And look, this sounds a little melodramatic, but this is a man crying out to God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there. We've all come to a place where we wonder, is my life worth it? Do I have purpose? Is there any point to all the suffering that I'm going through? But it's even worse than that. Because it's not just the pity of the people that surround him, that worries him. His real worry is the movements of his enemy. See, when you're the king and you begin to be weak, you know what happens? Other people jump on you. It's like sharks in the water. When they start smelling blood, they start circling. When the jackals can smell that kill, they start sniffing around the outside. And so he can hear the jackals coming. He's not doing well. His son has rejected him. His kingdom has been broken and and he's on the run and he can hear the people that are supposed to care about him, the people that are surrounding him. They're whispering. The servants are talking. He's not getting the full story. 
Once again, David's actions have led him into trouble, right? And he says that. He says, because of my iniquity, all this stuff has happened. So David is not saying, I'm a great guy, God. I don't know why bad things are happening to good people. He knows he's a bad person. He is just crying out and declaring, I can't do it. The weight of your anger is too much for me to bear. And I want to pause there for just a moment and tell you guys, that's an okay thing to tell God. It's an okay thing for you to tell God, I can't handle this. God is big enough for your angst. Never be afraid to cry out to God and tell him, Lord, it's too much. He may not change it, but you can cry out to him. But I want you to listen to David's response to his condition, right? This is how David can go from this place of brokenness and not despair. This is the key that David has that keeps him from letting anxiety turn into despair. And I'll be honest with you, this is, this is the verse or the set of verses that I memorize and I say to myself as a mantra in the dark watches of the night when everything feels like it's falling apart. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Save me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love.